You're listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash CivCast. Hey everybody, Kyle here, a little bit at the top of the show. We want to make a correction that uh, we will not be having a show next week, so that's the date of, um, I should have had this pulled up, that would be the date of Sunday, September 10th. We're going to take that day off because uh, Dan, like he's going to mention in this episode, has a kid coming, and Valter is out and about, so that's going to make it a little bit hard for us to do an episode. That being said, um, I will probably think of something to... Do maybe, I mean, if you guys have ideas throughout the week of what we could do, feel free to post it on this episode link on uh, the subreddit. Just let me know if you kind of think of an idea of something you maybe want me to kind of one-off about, whether if it's podcast questions or you know anything really. I, we can do kind of a free-form episode just so that you guys have something on your feed. I, I, I like to give back like that. Uh, otherwise, if we don't really come up with any great ideas, then it will probably be some sort of stream on, uh, on, on Twitch. It's going to be something... Maybe city. I've been doing a lot of city skylines. Let's be honest. I'm an addict, and I and the first step is admitting it. Uh, I know that a lot of our, our people that are both Civcast listeners tend to like that game as well. It's a paradox sort of thing. Although Valter would want me to be very specific and say that they did not design it; they solely publish it. Uh, anyway, I'm rambling now, so let's let's think throughout the week. If you have an idea of what you want me to chat about, please, please, please shoot that on the um, put that on the subreddit civcast.reddit.com. I say that so much, I should say it in my sleep. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of CivCast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello, hello. How are you today, sir? I'm all right, but you can wake me up when September ends. Uh, you've got a very busy month, which I think you want to talk about here in a minute. But before you do, I want to welcome in our other co-host, Valter. Hello, Valter. Hello, welcome to September, people. I can't believe we're already here. Dan, you, sir, like I just said, you've got a hugely busy month. So what can people expect from you in terms of uh, your lovely face here on the Twitch stream? Well, I don't think I'll be here next week because um, my wife and I are expecting our first uh, child this week. So I don't think I'll be able to intersperse whatever you do when you have a baby diaper changing and I don't know. Whatever you do, babies eat full meals, right? They eat full yes. five course dinners. Steak. So yes. be, I'm sure I'll be preparing that and everything, but <laughs> I don't. I don't expect I'll be around next Sunday. Um, it is also, of course, those who know my job being a history teacher. It is the start of the school year, um, and because good things come in threes, we're also moving at the end of the month. So um, Kyle and I were talking off uh, camera about the possibility of my September historical extra being filled in by either he or by Voucher or by some combination of both or by something completely different. Maybe Kyle will come out with some cool kind of version of his own thing. Reading the phone book. Yeah, reading the phone (laughs) book. As long as you do it in a really like sexy kind of accent. I I mean, I'd download that. Oh, good. But nonetheless, (laughs) um, I think that I I know that we're we're a little behind both Voucher and I for our August editions. you know, for, for various reasons and for Patreon subscribers, we apologize for that. I'm recording mine today and I think you're recording yours tomorrow. Yeah. 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 Cool. So we'll have those out to you within this week. Um, but for September's, I think it'll be a bit of a, 
bit of a mix up and a bit of a jumble. And as for my attendance over the next, well, maybe it's like better to just say over the next couple of weeks, it'll be kind of touch and go. So I hope you guys don't, don't miss me too much or long for me too much. Oh, I miss you already. Yeah, we will miss and long for you, but I, I, you know, it, it's just going to be that voucher not here. We're going to hold down the fort in your honor, Dan. Don't want my honor. I'll take it in your honor and the son. honor of your unborn child. Yeah. Yes. Right. Which you know we were talking about names, and I think my wife and I both decided that boy or girl, the best name is is. I had to sell her on it, but definitely the name to go with is uh, Voucher or Vouterette. I agree. Sure. I agree. I love it. Vouterette. I'm so honored. I'm really a fan of Valterette because that way Valterette. we can still keep them separate. You know, I mean, obviously depending on the gender there, but that way, you know, I don't have to refer to Voucher and how, how's Valter? Not, no, no, not this one. It's the other one. It's just easier with Valterette. That yeah, makes sense. You know, basically. Little Valter. Yeah. Oh, Valter Jr. Valter Jr. Oh, that would work as well. Uh, but that would be really confusing. Like, yeah. Why is he called Valter Jr.? Well, I have this guy that I do a podcast with and uh, he's called Valter as well. So we call him Valter Jr. <laughs> well, yeah. A great story when the child's older, considering it'll be no one else in uh, Western Canada will have that name. In all likelihood, it is a very Dutch name. It, be very, it is a very, very Dutch name. Get used to being called Wouter. So just preface that for them very early on. That that's yeah, not... you guys learned how to pronounce it as well, so it's fine. Ah, kids are douches, though. They won't pronounce it correctly. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Okay, we're here to talk about CivCast. No, Civilization. That's what we're here to talk about. We're on CivCast. That's the thing we do <laughs> every week. And uh, we're here to tell you things like uh, the CivCast Challenge. So uh, I don't know who wants to do a rundown of this because we, we did a couple different things here. Anyone want to take it away? Val, Dan, do you want to pass the buck to Valter, or who wants to talk about this? Well, I can take it on me also, this time. Dan looks frozen. Oh, I yeah, lost. Yeah, we might have lost Dan. Oh, we lost Dan. Uh, Valter, then how about you take it away, I will sir? take the Sifcast challenge then. So, so we, talked we talked about, about it before, it. Uh, that we wanted to do something like uh, everybody get the exact same start, the exact same seed, and everything like that. And so that's what we're going to do this month, actually. So we picked a Sif for you that you are going to play. We pick your opponents as well. And we picked a Seed. And I think it's a pretty decent start Seed. I haven't looked much into it further on. But the start is doable for most people, I would imagine so. So the civilization that you're going to play as will be Cyrus. And because I like Cyrus and I think people will be able to enjoy it quite a bit to play with him. And we're, of course, starting with a couple of opponents. And the opponents for this month are France, Germany, India, Sumeria, and Greece as Gorgo. The map uh, will be small size as usual, speed normal, everything normal. The, the difficulty will be an emperor. And for this, uh, get your notepads ready because I am about to name the game random seed. There are two seed boxes. The first is the game random seed, which determines dice rolls and everything like that. And the seed for that is minus seven four two six six eight zero eight five. The map random seed will be minus seven four six six eight zero uh -oh. eight. Hold on. Four. Hold on. I saw two in there. I think you said seven four six six. So hold on one sec. So this will all be on the subreddit. I want to make this clear for everyone that's quickly scrambling for their their notes. Uh, ah, th yeah. This this these will be on the subreddit. So civcast.reddit.com. You will easily find these seeds that you can copy and paste. But voucher, I think the map seed we missed a f we missed the the two after the four. 
the first. Well, the thing is, the map seed is always one more than the game random seed. And since this is negative number, the five changes to a four. So if you if I did the game random seed correctly, just go by that one and change the five at the end to a four. But it will be in the Reddits, uh, indeed. That's a good point. I get Sorry what you're saying that. there. Hey, it happens. Totally happens. So yeah, go to the subreddit. You'll be a lot safer, unless you like transcribing things from podcast form. <laughs> but yeah, that's going to be the challenge, and I'm really curious what people are going to make for uh, of it because all uh, victory types are open, so you can do whichever victory type you want to pursue. And since we're all playing from the same start, uh, I think we will might see some discussions about what people did in the start, what worked well for them, and what didn't work well, and what they would do better. I, I really uh, I really like this uh, kind of idea. So I don't remember who suggested it on the Reddit, but thank you very much. Yeah, crap, I forget who it was, and it'd be very hard to dig for it, because I think it was on a, a thread of that. But thank you again. Um, give us a shout-out, whoever you are. I forget, and I feel bad, but tell us, because this is your idea coming to fruition. Thanks for submitting it. And uh, this is going to be really exciting, like you just said, Valter. I want to see, since we gave it an open victory type, how are people going to tackle this map? How are they going to go about, um, you know, just just a whole... It's going to be very interesting. These stories are going to be more intense than ever, because instead of comparing, like, apples to oranges, we're going to be comparing the same exact things. It's going to be really fun. I can't wait. Yeah. Cannot wait. Okay, so that is your Civcast challenge. Uh, again, that goes from September 3rd, which is today, the whole way till September 30th, the last Saturday of the month, which means we'll actually be announcing the winner in the first day of October. Holy crap. This year is just blown by. I cannot believe it we're... It really is. I know we're planning a month ahead here, but still, we're, we're planning into October. That's just nuts. That also means... Uh, that we are, what did I say it was? 14 days. 14 days until the first, the, the, the solid year anniversary of Civcast. Uh, I just looked it up. It looks like we posted the first episode. I don't think I, Valter wasn't here, and Dan, you weren't even here yet. Um, the first episode went up September 17th of 2016. So it, that is just nuts. I cannot believe. It kind of, small pat on the back that this actually... Uh, has been going on weekly like that's a challenge for podcasts i hear and so i'm surprised i've had the <laughs> the self-dedication or whatever to keep it going but it's been so easy because we have an awesome community of people that keep uh this show exhilarating and fun and if it weren't for these awesome co-hosts that are sitting across the skype table from me uh it would not be easy to do on a weekly basis it's really a community effort uh hey if it was if it were one man podcast just talking about i don't know talking about the news I, I don't think I could that that wouldn't do it for me but it's because you guys are constantly chiming in on things like the reddit and for everyone prior to reddit prior when we were just on twitter and all that stuff sending in emails coming out with cool ideas we've come a long way we went from just you know barely knowing how to post on itunes and now we live stream it on twitch and stuff side note uh, the show is going exclusively to Twitch because we almost have affiliate ship through this account. So it will be exclusive to Twitch. Make sure you go over there and follow it. The links are still working on the website. I'm just going to trim them down so it's a Twitch-only link. Um, but go give that a follow. And thank you again for all the love. Switching it back around here to why we're actually here again. We are here to talk to you about culture. This was, I think, Valter's idea last week. Or Dan's. Dan no, Dan uh, really wanted to talk about this. Okay, then it's Dan's idea. I don't know. You guys can't expect me to remember anything. I don't have a brain <laughs> for that. Uh, we're lucky I show up on time. I didn't today. 
So culture, we're talking about theater squares and museums. Uh, Dan, I'll throw it to you first. What is your kind of initial question on this? I know we just hadn't talked about it much, but what is your burning question for this week? I guess the way to kind of anchor the discussion at first is maybe to talk about how different culture plays in Civ 6 as opposed to towards the end of the life cycle for Civ 5. Because um, I remember after Brave New World, there were a lot of changes that were affected onto the way that culture functioned in Civ 5. Um, initially, I that it thought felt it rather that it was a bit of a bit of a throwaway that I never really focused on um, or would tend to avoid. Um, but after Brave New World, I know that they they altered it. I know that the focus um, shifted much more towards tourism and towards um, great works and away from the whole cultural building emphasis. Whereas now with Civ Six, I feel like it's very much a hard. It feels very much like a hard stat kind of like a counter stat, like uh, like gold or like science. And it's kind of moved away from that abstract aspect, at least in the early game. Certainly culture as a victory is reliant on tourism still, but um, I feel like it's, it feels like much more of a counting stat to me now. So I guess my question would be, um, how do you feel it has changed uh, from the end of the Brave New World life cycle through to Civ Six, And do you prefer the way that it is in Six to the end of how it was in Five? <laughs> it's a very difficult question, actually, but uh, I like the way that culture worked, like the cultural victory worked in uh, Civ 5 a lot. And I had a lot of getting used to how it works in Civ 6 because it actually is quite different. I mean, there are similarities, but it is quite different, and especially because one of the things that made it work so well in Civ 5, what is missing, I, I think, in Civ 6, is the ability to, like, one-on-one swap uh, great works with uh, other players. You now have to do like a manual trade and usually the AI values their their work of art a lot more than yours. So it's really difficult and stuff like that, which makes getting theming bonuses for, uh, for museums really difficult as well. So that's not that amazing. What I do love about... Um, the new system is that they really quantified it, not like uh, culture versus tourism, but generally like um, domestic tourists versus uh, international tourists. And that is, I think, a really, really great thing. And that is something I really, really like from the new system. That's very interesting. I mean, culture ties into a couple different things here, right? We have a victory, but we also now, I think, Dan, kind of what you were saying is in a hard stat way, it applies to a whole different um, tree that, like you were saying, is kind of called counter to science. I mean, we had uh, culture points before that you used to spend on social policies, and it was a very skill tree version. And now we've gone into this sort of uh, science tech tree versus a cultural tech tree. So I know there's a couple different ways to take this conversation. One, we can talk strictly about uh, you know how it applies to victory types in, in terms of tourism. But I think something very interesting that Valter pointed out pre-show that I would love to talk about here is how cultural wonders aren't even necessary for uh, a cultural victory. That they're not that, that you're actually talking tourism versus culture. Am I am I having that correct, Valter? Yeah, definitely. Because um, if you have very little amounts of culture, but like a bunch of tourism, you can still win the win the game easily in cultural victory. Because it's not about that much your cultural output, it's just what the others are doing. And you have the same bit of that in Civ 5, but 
um, here, the only thing that hold is, is holding you back is then the civic tree. And once you get sufficiently in that, that you can build your museums, then you don't really need it that much. It's not a necessity anymore. And uh, as a fact, you can actually win like a cultural victory through religion quite early on if you just get a lot of relics and stuff like that through uh, useful means. And that way you can pretty much just ditch culture as a, a thing altogether and just focus on religion and just win that way for a cultural victory. I find that culture and tourism are something that I really don't understand as fully as I should. I mean, the idea of tourism in this game really kind of throws me for a loop. I don't think I've ever understood it, even in Civ Five. Um, it's just it seems like such an abstract concept to me and something I've had a hard time monitoring that I think I've actually just stayed away from it. Do you find that you guys are going for culture plays? I know they take a long time. Uh, Dan, do you do you ever play Cultural Victory? I think I've actually keyed in on Cultural Victory twice. Um, once was with Gorgo because her uh, unique ability, which I can't remember of, had a really cool kind of bonus where if you were playing like a domination merged with Cultural Victory, it benefited your culture to be aggressive. I think that you got cultural bonuses based on the, the ar armies that you conquered. Uh, if you kill a unit, you get uh, culture based upon the unit's strength. Right, and then the other one I can't remember. I think I was playing. I think I was playing China, and the Great Wall gives you cultural output for each adjacent Great Wall tile. So if you build the greatest of Great Walls, then you're going to have the greatest of cultures. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the mechanism of tourism I think is a bit prohibitive because some of the other like science is is very very straightforward in this game, right? Like what you have to do to achieve a science victory is very very. It's very much a ladder, and it's it's. It's just you climb up that ladder to get to the top. Whereas tourism, um, I feel like as a mechanism, it, it's, a, it's a little bit it's a little bit different. I mean, you have the differences between religious tourism and overall tourism, um, and you have the fact that all sorts of different things influence your tourism: trade routes, open borders, all sorts of different things. So definitely, um, it can feel like it's a bit more. You're playing a bit more fast and loose when you're focused on that, um, but. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be something that keeps you from trying it because I think it's I think cultural victories are very, um, very fulfilling actually, and they're a very different way to play the game as well. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. I, and there's something I usually do have turned on. I I am very open to it because I I do enjoy a longer game anyway. So so to say that you know it's a long play is is something that I I enjoy more. But uh, it's interesting. I'm looking online here, and and maybe it's maybe it is an abstract concept because here's here's some of the ways that they list online how you generate tourism because it's it's a pretty wide list. They're pretty obvious, but it's large. So you got trade routes, you got uh, shared or conflicting late game governments. Open borders, great works housed in your civilization, holy cities and relics housed in your civilization will draw tourists of your religion, uh, national parks in your territory, the higher the appeal, the more tourism, finding the housing, finding and housing artifacts in your civilization. Tourism boosters include great works of writing that double in tourism once printing is invented, and great works of music, which triple in tourism if the satellite broadcast social policy is active. All tourism yields are doubled once the computer tech has been researched. The themed museums also provide culture bonus. So I guess, Dan, to what you, I think, accurately said, you got science, which is this very understandable, very finite, like if I get a point, I can use a point here sort of system. This is something very wide and, and, and not so um, 
am I wrong in thinking this isn't very clear through the UI? I mean, it just doesn't seem to be to me. Maybe I'm missing something. I did not, a couple of months ago. I did a, a strategy session actually about uh, the culture of victory, and and that was one of my complaints as well. Like the information that you want to have have access to isn't that clear, and most people would immediately go to like the tourism lens, which is quite useless in my opinion because it pretty much just shows you how much tourists something has generated which is fun to know but sure. it's like I, I i just need to know what is going to generate in the future not exactly what it did in the last hundred turns or so that it existed so it, it is a lot more unclear and you really have to dig for the information and a thing that some people might not know but hovering over in the cultural victory screen uh, over like uh, other civilizations that you've met actually gives you a lot of information how much you are generating directly towards that civilization, which is a really important stat, actually. And it, it's not that clear that you can find that out. So what I'm yeah. kind of, of getting in, in this conversation is we always recommend trade routes, right? Like that is our common... Hmm. Pardon me, common denominator on the show. We always talk about trade routes. They are the lifeblood of, of any civilization. But uh, we usually refer to them internally, right? We always we, we, we re recommend that people use national trade routes, not international so much. So where does this prioritize it? I mean, are you are you pushing for more international trade routes? Should you be going with a tourism bonus or tourism uh, cultural victory? Not if you're playing Persia, because then you get a culture bonus for domestic trade routes. But beyond that, I think, to, I don't know. I have to think about that question. Um, Valter, can you take that? I have to think about that question first. Yeah, that's then. no problem. So the thing is, uh, in the beginning, I still just go internal trade routes. Because sure. mainly, uh, what it does is it gives you, if I'm remembering correctly, a plus 50% tourism output bonus towards that civilization that you sent the uh, trade route to. Mm -hmm. And there are, I believe, two other great persons who increase that bonus by 25% each. So that, that brings us to uh, an, an extra 100%. But since in the beginning you're not making that much tourism, you're not going to win on tourism in the beginning, I would still focus on internal trade routes. Once you get towards the later stages of the game that you are really uh, starting to, like, ball out of control tourism wise you then start to send at least one trade route to every civilization there is and sometimes that needs some little bit of prep work because you need training posts so that you can uh, reach further destinations stuff like that civilizations that might be on the other side of the map but uh, then it becomes more important and if you can't do that because tourism is calculated towards every other civilization and not as like a whole general thing uh, you can just focus on one or two civilizations and make massive amount of tourists from their country specifically. So it's very yeah, interesting. Can, Go ahead. Uh, sorry, Kyle, for interrupting. No, no. And I kind of wanted to talk a little bit too about the way that um, policy cards kind of influence that. Because to what you're talking about, I know that there's two or three specific policy cards that give you percentage bonuses based on trade routes to other civs, tourism percentage bonuses based on trade routes to other civs. And I was just looking them up while you were talking. Um, Online communities provides plus 50% tourism from trade routes to other civs. That's a late policy card, right? That would make yeah. sense. Online communities. That's a very late policy I thought that card. was ancient era, um, Dan. 
So, <laughs> so I thought that was, that was ancient, ancient area yeah. online communities, like yeah. literally online, like communities that were built on lines of string that were connected. Ah, oh, I get it now. Okay, ah. thank you for clarifying. But, but to wit, there's actually a lot of culture-specific um, policy cards when I was looking at you know, culture and tourism-specific uh, policy cards. And I think that's great. I think that that really does make it um, an attainable and, and conceivable victory type when they're actually doubling down with policy cards that really genuinely um, benefit you, like Grand Opera, which gives you a plus 100% culture yield from theater square buildings, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, so we got policy cards. So they 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 are obviously a huge uh, huge thing to play in this game. Whenever you're go- you're you're what do I want to say? When you're focusing your civilization in on a victory type, you want to be using the most accurate uh, policy cards that you can for it. Um, and on that note, government types. I mentioned you know sharing late game government. So uh, you know, where do you guys maybe net out on even that point? So we're talking about. Or I guess maybe I'm confused how that mechanic even makes sense. So you are. If you're sharing a government type with, let's say, I'm sharing it with China and, I don't know, Russia or something. So they're in my game. I'm sharing a government type with them at the very end of the game. What, we get extra tourism between one another because? How's that work? No, actually not. It's different than that. Um, If you have a different government type, and it depends on which one it is, there is a penalty. Uh-huh. And depend. So, for example, if you're fascist and, I believe, democracy, you have a larger uh-huh. penalty than fascist versus communism. So it depends on what you are and what the opponent is. And if you have both the same, then there is no penalty. See, this is clarifying it. Yeah, good. If I remember correctly, the ones with, like, the least resistance are Merchant Republic and Democracy. They they have the the least, like, negative if, if there's a different government. But there are still some penalties applied. Interesting. Uh, okay, so that that makes sense. Now another big one here, and, and Dan, this might this probably you know especially when you're looking at at, at um, more of the the purple cards in the policy slot. Uh, great works and great works of music, writing, etc. This ties into kind of what we put put in the notes about theming and museums and and all of your uh, actual theater districts. So, Valter, if you're going this route, if you're going towards a cultural victory, I mean, is your yeah, is your uh, is your main focus trying to get great works or where do you stand with that? So, mostly like what I usually do when I build I I, I build a lot of cities and I focus my city first commercial hub or harbor, then uh, industrial zone and then victory type in this case that's a uh, theater square. And that way, I generate quite a lot of great person points for uh, great writing, um, great works of art, and great works of music in the late game. Uh, and because of that, I am not a big fan of the purple cards that give you mm-hmm. great people points specifically. Like, I would not run them continuously. I'd rather run something that strengthens my economy so that I can build another one or two cities easier or stuff like that. Um, only when I really want a great person and I'm really close and I'm about to be beaten to it, then I might switch temporarily. But it's not something I would run continuously because I think you get more benefit from it in the long run if you run a better economic policy in the wildcard shot, for example. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Dan, Dan, do you have any thoughts to add to that uh, point? I think it's a little different. Civ 5, you really, really had to prioritize... um, 
great works from what I remember. I remember having to just beeline to great works if you wanted to have any sort of raw tourism output. And I do very much feel like it's a bit more nuanced than six. I do very much feel like we can we can do different things and there are different ways to approach it. And I like that. Um, but I like like I was saying at the start of this chat, I just I guess I just kind of like the way that they have culture as a mechanism set up here a little bit more. Um, and I think tourism, you know, what you're talking about, Kyle, it is a bit of a confusing and a bit of a prohibitive stat at first. But I think that if you um, if you look into it, kind of like what we've done here and what Voucher's been explaining, and you really kind of you can really kind of double down on the nuanced aspects of it. It's a very fulfilling and worthwhile way to pursue the game. Yeah, I mean, it does seem to make sense once you once you kind of outline what all you should be aiming for in a uh, in a tourism or you know cultural victory play style. I, I think so much of that, unfortunately, is kind of masked in the game. It, it uh, to what Voucher and I were mentioning a little earlier about the idea of a tourism lens and stuff like that. Unfortunately, it's not so uh, straightforward telling you a lot of these things that I easily found online saying, "Hey, here are the things to focus on to get better tourists." I mean. Also, even the way that this one wiki that I'm on is sharing um, the idea of the late game government types, they didn't break it down like Voucher did, which I think is very helpful. I mean, it leaves it up to interpretation. Uh, it didn't. It didn't mention anything. It says shared or conflicting late game governments, but that doesn't say like, hey, if you are fascist, you're not going to get great tourism with a, a a freedom democracy sort of government type. And that's pretty important. I mean, if you're really going to try and min-max this play style, uh, you're going to need to do some heavy research in in just learning how these these work. Um, it's, it's a little yeah, some, I, of it, I, some of it sounds a bit sorry, common sense ish, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You will need to research it. I, I had to do a lot of research. I did the strategy session in May, and uh, because it was an enigma for me as well, and I had to do a lot of research, looking at a lot of numbers and stuff like that, and like calculate things myself as well to actually find out like how do you get a tourist, like an international tourist? And how do you get a domestic tourist? What are the numbers that I need for that? And stuff like that. It's very far hidden away sometimes in the game. Oh, yeah. And there's some stuff in there that I just haven't even touched on, like seaside resorts. I've never built a seaside resort. Oh, yeah. Stuff like that that's really buried no. deep, deep inside of the actual culture mechanism that are things that, you know, I think are worth exploring that make me want to explore them. Because I've, yeah, I've never built a seaside resort. And I think I've built a national park in like two games. Wow, that's a great point. I've never built a national park or a seaside resort to that point, Dan. I uh, Really? Yeah, really. Um, wow. It's just, I, I don't even know if I really go for that that tech uh leaf that often i mean i know i think i think i get it when it's necessary to go on to the next thing but my eyes at that point in the game tend to be more focused on the military units i'm aiming for not so much <laughs> the uh the cultural things that are, are preventing me from getting yeah. there well min maxing culture creates a weird game too anytime i've tried it and a couple times i've tried it in this it does it does, it's a very different experience, and I don't know if I necessarily like it as much. It feels like you're playing a completely different game than if you're playing even a science focus, right? Mm -hmm. The science focus, you'll still do some some stuff militarily, but in a culture focus, your tourism is not, in most cases, contingent on being a military power at all. Interesting. So you actually want to be friends with some as many people as possible. Because that means you can have open border relations with them, and that means more tourists towards you. So you you never want to have any warmonger penalty because that's gonna kick you in the ass like later in the game. <laughs> so it's uh, it's inherently already a very pacifist kind of stance that you have to take to actually play the game that way. 
Yeah, so Kyle, don't you like those peace kind of games? Oh, uh, we're getting to the bottom of a therapy session here. This is why Kyle never goes a, a true cultural victory. He is culture through conquest, not, uh, there's no hand-holding towards the end of my games. No one's got open borders at the end of Kyle's. They're, half the world's been nuked over, so. You're, you're, you're forcing them to follow the culture of yes, Kyle. Yes, yes. It's Kyleism by force. Kyleism by force, that's exactly it, quote it. But for some people might be actually interested, and I did talk about this in the strategy session, but I, I, I'm a numbers guy. I like min-maxing a lot. So uh, knowing the numbers is really interesting and useful, I think, as well. And so the numbers for getting a domestic tourist is 100 culture. So for every 100 culture that you get, you get one domestic tourist, and it goes for the AI as well. Inspirations and stuff like that count as a culture gotten. And for uh, getting an international tourist, uh, then you need 150 times the number of civilizations in the game. And that's at the game start, not the ones that are still there, but the game start. So if you have a six players game, that's 900 uh, tourism you need for one international tourist. To, and, and that's not raw tourist output, but it's tourist output towards that civilization, which makes it even more like difficult and in-depth so it's it's a really complicated system of numbers deep behind it that makes uh for many people the the the, the, the cultural victory is so weird and not exactly uh, you kind of know what you're doing you know what you're aiming for but you have no idea what it's actually being used for i i got that feel at least Mm. Exactly. It's not like the science victory where you're building, exactly. you're, you're aiming towards these these very tangible, very specific things in every single time you play it. Yeah. So that that's all. I mean, so this this is something I need to dive deeper in just very obviously because because culture, uh, I think, has just scared me away. Cultural victories. Like I said, I leave them on, but I don't think I actively pursue them, probably because you're telling me I have to hold hands with the rest of the world, which don't do that. But I mean, it is like I said, I think the other the more realistic reason of why I've been kept away is because it is a system that's so non-transparent and that um I don't want to say that, I mean, that's part of the problem for me because I want something that is a little bit more obvious. But I mean, definitely for our patrons that are, are, are subscribed, if you're if you're curious about this, I mean, Valter did an excellent episode. They were dug into it. Like you said, you should go listen to that. What was it? It was May, you said, Valter? So it's been yeah, it's a the couple May. months I got now. the notes. Uh, I just picked up the notes so that uh, I have a little reference because May has been a while. See, Valter's perfectly prepared because he already did all his homework. So look at that. Good job, Valter. Um, but but it is it is so uh, kind of obtuse in that way. Does anyone else have any? Um, I guess I guess maybe we didn't talk about theming for museums. Do you guys want to talk about that at all? Yeah, sure. Because I have a really big opinion about it. Okay, I want to hear it. Just go for archaeological uh, archaeological museums because they're so much easier to theme than the the art museums. It's so difficult to get theming in this game. Um, especially since the the one on one automatic like trade thing is gone, and um, our great artists now produce works of different kinds and everything like that, and you have then two religious and one portrait from an artist or something like that, and that's super annoying. So to get the correct amount of everything, and you need three of them from different artists, it's such a hassle that archaeological museums are pretty much immediately themed uh when you dig stuff up it's it's really easy to get that theming going so they are so much better in my opinion than uh the art museums 
Interesting. Hey, speaking of archaeological museums, Kyle, aren't you an England player? Yes. Do you just, do you just yes. kind of completely ignore British museum mm, when you're playing them? No, I, I actually typically go for it I because I like the concept. It's, a, it's I don't know, it's not hard to do to theme a museum like that. So I, I typically do that England on the themes side. them automatically, actually. Correct. So that makes it really easy. Really easy. So, yeah, to, to that point that you both made, no, I, I usually throw at least a theater square there, but it's more for looks. It's not really for strategy, I don't think. Um, I just kind of like the concept of museums in the game, so I, I play it, but I mean, still, we're playing for our own culture we go and steal those artifacts and and <laughs> decimate the this the civilization we took them from does that I answer mean, it, Dan? You, you do that as well you build some archaeologists and they just travel around the globe indiana jones style and uh and just steal great works from the nazis or something right, like that. right I'm, I'm playing true to life here right like i go to <laughs> egypt and i steal all their things and take it back i mean to it is an achievement right that, that you steal a great work with an archeo- a German archaeologist next to it or something like that. So. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, and it has an Indiana Jones-themed name. I can't remember. Yeah, I remember that. That's, I didn't that's know how that. I got it. <laughs> well, that's very It's very difficult to get because it is really, really specific, but it is really cool. Wow, okay, cool. That's something for people to aim towards. Let us know how that goes in your next uh, Sif- <laughs> Sifcast challenge. Aim for that, most of all. Get bonus points. Uh, so yeah, theming difficult for the most part if you're going with art, but you're saying it's significantly easier if you're going archaeological. Is that right, Valter? Yeah, definitely. And uh, for archaeological, you can, if stuff is missing, it's much easier to trade for it with the AI as well, because I think somehow they value archaeological uh, pieces less than they do normal art pieces. So mm-hmm. um, it's easier to trade them around as well. And that just makes it so much easier to do, get the theming uh, done. And theming is a doubling of the amount of tourism you get out of it. So that's a huge upswing. And that's very cool. Um, I, I, I need to, I need to, clearly I need to play this, this more and, and aim for more cultural stuff and, and give it a, a better shot. Uh, any other outstanding questions from you two? I, I, do we want to talk maybe a little bit about wonders for these? Cause I mean, we kind of already, we should. we should. Okay. So calling back to our awesome, uh, listener, Rick Payton's list, we're, we're looking at his, uh, his great wonder list that he's made and improved since his initial release of it. Uh, you can very easily sort by, uh, culture at the top of the page, which is great. I want to. Wait, let me throw this on the thing. Uh, there we go. Wait, I can make it bigger. Oh, there we go. Okay, so you can see, uh, if you're on Twitch right now watching us, um, you can see we're looking at a list of wonders here. Um, and it, we got everything from the pyramids to the Sydney Opera House. Uh, some of these, I'm guessing, are are way more useful than others um, in terms of we got Sydney Opera House that actually gives you great musician points or and, and also music work slots. Uh, some of them like what? I mean, the great the pyramids are useful for the builders they give you, but that's not culture specific. Uh, uh, that's a little bit. It, I mean, the thing is it? as well, like culture is less important for a cultural victory than tourism is. So, uh, for example, for Britain City, besides the wildcard policy slot, doesn't actually help you attain mm-hmm. the cultural victory more than any other wonder would. Right. So the Chichen Itza is listed here, but actually doesn't make it much better. Um, for those who like numbers like I do, um, you get actually a certain amount from tourism from a wonder by itself as well. And the number is depending on which era you are in right now. Mm. Uh, and if so, if the wonder is from three eras ago, you will, it will gain three 
tourism plus a base of two. So that makes five. So the later game you get, the earlier one does give you more tourism output at that point than the newer one does for Uh-huh. Okay, so you're, you're, you're basically just... You, you, it's good to have a bunch of wonders, too. I mean... Yeah, wonders generate tourism on their own already. That seems pretty commonsensical in a way, right? You know, I mean, if you've got something cool to go look at, you know, it, it, it's going to make more people want to come to you. So that, that that's good. Um, and then some of these seem to be really, uh, really beneficial in like double tourism from seaside resorts, if you actually build seaside resorts. Uh, but so what yeah, do you think you might should. be the most important wonder in this list, Valter, if you had to pick one? Well, it's actually not in this list because oh. I would, uh, because the, the things that are more important for this victory type of the ones that produce great musician points, great uh, artist points, and great writer points. And then something like the Bullshirt Theater or um, the Broadway or some, something like that are Sydney much Opera. more... Sydney Opera House as well. And uh, also uh, the Hermitage, because it also allows for great works of art slots and everything like that. Those are way more important. And I think one of the best ones is the Bullshirt Theater, because you also get two random civics completed as well aha you know i have to also compliment rick's list because he actually has a tourism button there at the bottom in addition to all your your great musicians great merchants all the all the things in between this list is it just blows me away how thorough it is like sorry rick yeah, i can't really talk good. it up enough um every time i think like oh you know i don't see something i just need to look a little bit closer and there it is uh, Another one that is all, yeah. that you also listed there is the Eiffel Tower, which is really great because it gives higher appeal to tiles, which makes it that you can place a lot more seaside resorts, for example. And they they if you build a lot of seaside resorts, they will literally win you the tourism game because that's that's a lot of tourism. So seaside resorts around the Eiffel Tower is going to win you a tourism game. Okay, I feel like... I mean, it's not a, specifically around the Eiffel Tower because the Eiffel Tower does it for your entire country. And if you have like a little bit of high cultural output, you have a lot of dead tiles that you, don't, can, you can't work with your cities because they're too far away. But if they're still coastal, then you can still put a seaside resort on it and don't lose anything. It's not a, a tile you lose that you would normally work with a farm on it or something oh. like that or a mine. It's just a seaside resort now that nets you like passively an amount of tourism, wow. which is amazing. And also your um, national parks and, and stuff like that, they become easier to place because you have a higher appeal already. Wow. So uh, the Eiffel Tower is a really good wonder for a cultural victory as well. Very interesting. I did not think about the seaside resorts giving a passive bonus being, you know, in your in your city's area, but not actually being able to be worked by a specific citizen. That's very, very good to know. They I just need it. to be inside your cultural borders, not and they don't need to be worked by a citizen. Interesting. Learn new things every episode. Yeah. Anything else for culture? No. Uh, Crystal Redentor is awesome. Because it doubles the seaside resorts, and I think seaside resorts are pretty amazing. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's culture. I think it's cool how many civs have um, some sort of culture bonus attached to them. Just looking at the list here, uh, this is the vast majority of civs that have either a leader ability or a unique building or a tile improvement or something like that that um, has something to do with culture. So that clearly demonstrates that um, Foraxis wanted it to be a more appealing and a more I don't know, relevant victory type than it was in five. Makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I think they're on the good path. They're not there yet, 
but are, they are on the good path forward. Well, I think that kind of, uh, just due to time here, guys, kind of wraps up our conversation about culture for this week. Um, we're just we're running a little bit thin here. Uh, I want to give one shout out to uh, Caleb Young on uh, on Reddit, a long time, long time listener. He wanted to point something else about uh, AIs and their refusing of alliances post-patch. So I just want to call this out in case anyone else is noticing this too. Uh, and he says, anyone else having this problem? I've had two or three games since the uh, most recent patch being released when being friends with an AI since the beginning of time, they're now re- uh, refusing to accept alliance proposals. Before the patch, it wasn't overly difficult to have one or two alliances as if you played peacefully but uh so to, to, kind of, to kind of kind of summarize that he's just saying he's having issues making these alliances now the patch is out uh voucher you didn't have this issue is that correct yeah i note uh, uh the, what i did notice is that the ai wasn't that keen on offering me an alliance mm. themselves but they were still very like i didn't have any problems when i wanted to make an alliance with people i knew i could make an alliance that i made the alliance any more difficult than uh, before, so I haven't noticed that, but I did notice indeed that there something has changed in that code because they don't offer me an alliance anymore, which they did do in the past. Interesting, Dan. Have you had any experience with that? Can you rephrase what the question was? Sorry, I was just reading about something on culture again. No, you're fine. He says um, that since the most recent patch, uh, not a single AI has accepted his alliance proposals, even after being friends since the beginning of time. Before the patch, it wasn't very difficult to have an alliance or two. Have you noticed a uh, lack of alliance acceptance? No, maybe he's just a jerk. Oh, (laughs) rude. Maybe Dan's a jerk. Take that, right, Caleb? Right? Probably. 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 Well, we can all settle that one. Uh, no, just kidding. So that's that. Uh, let us know if you do, if anyone else out there is having that problem. Go ahead. He posted on the subreddit, so sifcast.reddit.com. Uh, it's titled AI Refusing Alliances Post-Patch. You guys can find that pretty easily. But do let us know if you're if you're noticing something like that as well. We're always curious to hear what the community thoughts are. Uh, guys, we're at that point where you guys maybe we want to take this away and talk about your minutes of the week. So, uh, Dan, how about I toss it to you first? What is your historical minute? Sure. So for my uh, world history kids this year, I've assigned them a book, a novel to follow along with the textbook and the lectures and stuff. And it's a very popular historical novel right now that I'm going to recommend to people. Um, And it's called Sapiens. Um, It's a brief history of humankind by Yuval Noah Harari. And um, it's a bestseller and you'll see it on all your bookstore shelves. And you probably recognize the cover if you've been into a bookstore lately but what it basically is is it's a it's a combination archaeological anthropological sociological very nuanced approach to the history of humankind and how we've kind of developed into the super predators that we are now the interesting thing i've never really read about ancient ancient history before i'm clueless to it um, but reading the actual uh, novel, he tells the story of how the traditional kind of um, view on how uh, Homo sapiens, like us, evolved into the dominant species of humanoid, because there are obviously so many different species of humanoid throughout history, how Homo sapiens evolved into the dominant species was not because the other species like um, like Neanderthal died out, but it was because we, Homo sapiens, slowly moved into their territory um, and basically destroyed them um, because we were afraid of them. So I, a lot of um, 
a lot of historians point to the fact that Homo sapiens was just the more highly evolved and more intelligent and more pragmatic of the, the human no, humanoid species. And that's why we ended up um, being the dominant one. But that's not really the case. I mean, the stories he shares about um, Neanderthal as being very, um, being very pragmatic and some of the other species... Uh, ones with names I can't even really pronounce as being very um, utilitarian or being very tool focused or being very um, even having like many cultures of their own um, speaks to the fact that Homo sapiens was just better at waging war than the other species of humanoid were and that's why we ruled out and won the day. Um, but that you know a lot of in a lot of parts of the world. Um, the Homo sapiens that we have now is one that is a result of interbreeding between Homo sapiens and humanoid species like Neanderthals or other early humans. So it's fascinating, man. You know, it's not a history that many people really take the time to read about. And it's not really history, to be honest with you. It's something a little different. Um, but it's really cool to read about because, you know, the, the different elements of evolution and the different elements of selective breeding and all that kind of have come together to form what we are as a species now. And the different things he talks about, the practical things like how we evolved to being upright standing made giving birth a much more difficult thing because we used to be kind of, we used to have more bent over postures and that meant that uh, the hips in women were a lot wider. So giving birth was a lot easier. And so women have suffered over time with much narrower hips. And as a result, a lot of more complications with birth. It's a fascinating book. and I highly, highly recommend it to anyone who's looking for a good historical read. Um, that does more than just talk about wars and great works of art and tourism. Well, there you go. That's uh, that, that, that doesn't I mean it's a, I, you're right. It's not technically history, but it's a fascinating uh, what's that? Not anthropology, but um, uh, uh, whatever. I can't think of it, but very, very fascinating. I love that sort of, lots stuff. of yeah, lots of things: anthropology, sociology, yeah. archaeology, all that. A little bit of all of it, but it's very interesting to kind of you know see how we got where we are, and, and it's still just good, good, good uh, account. So I will uh, we'll get a link to that uh, book for everyone, so you can read it. What was it, Dan? Sapiens? Is that it? Yeah, it's called Sapiens: A Brief History of Humankind. Excellent. Good we'll 300, a... 300 It's it's not pro, it's not like prohibitive either. It's it's a really easy read. Oh yeah, it's it's pretty uh, the hardbacks very affordable on uh, Amazon right now. So so there you go, everybody. There's a little book for you. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, let's see, Voucher, That makes you up next to talk about a uh, a, a strategy session for this week. Yes, today we're going to talk about Congo because we're still going down the list of all the civilizations. And it fits really well with today's episode because Congo is all about them culture, yo. Uh, Congo has the ability of religious comfort. And it's a really, really weird ability because it means you can't build any holy districts. You can't gain any great profits or found a religion ever. So that probably means to a lot of people you don't want to play a religious game but you, because you can't win a religious game. But they do gain apostles uh, as long as they're majority religion in that city. Uh, every time you finish a Mabanza or a theater square district. Now, why is that? It's pretty much because you can gain a lot of tourism as well through faith and your religion and stuff like that. But it's a really double-edged sword because if you push out that religion too much, then that player might actually win a religious victory. So you have to be really careful with it. But it can be a great boost of uh, gaining a lot of tourism. Uh, beyond that, they also have the, and this is a horrible name to pronounce, so I'm apologizing already, the Nixie. 
or something like that, mm. which is that you gain food, production, and gold from each relic, artifact, and sculpture. Great work of art, uh, addition to the usual culture. And you gain, now since this patch, uh, 50% more great writers, great artists, great musicians, and great merchant pools. It used to be 100%. They nerfed it a little bit, and I think that's a good thing because Congo was a little bit powerful. But this is really, really great. Um, and it's also pretty much why, if you're playing Congo, I would go ape shit on uh, archaeological museums because you get a food production and gold from uh, artifacts. Uh, sculptures is a thing that is in art, but it's one of the fewer things, and that's uh, just not that great. But you, you should probably have a couple of art museums around to stash stuff in, but just go crazy for those artifacts, man. They are amazing. They gave you all the uh, the usual stuff with a lot of extra bonuses that make your uh, country better as well. And because they get that extra bonus towards the great writer, great artist, and great musician, they automatically are so much easier to um, to to get those guys and get a little bit of extra culture and tourism out of that as well. The unique unit is pretty okay, actually. It replaces a swordsman, and it has extra combat strength when defending against ranged attack, and they can move and see through woods and rainforest, which is really useful because Congo has a starting bias towards rainforest. So uh, that way you can play a quite defensive game where you're staying in rainforest and just they can't re really kill you that much because, well, you get an extra temp uh, combat strength and just defend your borders. Because you're playing a cultural game, most likely, you want to be pacifist as much as possible. Somebody might declare war on you, but the moment you start taking cities, you start to incur warmonger penalties. You don't want that. So this unit is really well suited for their kind of playstyle as well. The Mabanza is the unique district for Congo, which is pretty cool uh, because it means it's 50% cheaper than the neighborhood normally. And it can only be constructed on rainforest and woods, which is fine. You don't need that many of the uh, Mabanzas usually anyway. But the ones that you have are awesome because they always provide plus five housing. doesn't matter uh, what kind of, uh, of uh, appeal the tile has. And it gives plus two food and plus four gold as well. And this way, you can build up Congo really, really, really quickly. I also believe it's earlier available than the neighborhood as well. So if you're struggling with having enough housing in your cities usually like that, the Mombansa will really help with that as well. Congo is really catered towards getting that cultural victory that we've been talking about. And I think they're a lot of fun to play as. And if you feel a little bit lucky today, you can go uh, try out some of their religious apostles that they make and get a lot of extra tourism as, uh, from that as well. It's risky, but definitely worth it. I like it, Valter. I love the Mumbanzas. Those things are amazing. Like you said, they come before neighborhoods. They are great. They they make for some easy uh, expansion in the early or in the the mid game. I think comes about. It's around the time yeah, of guilds. I think they get them with guilds. I think so. Something like that. So it's right around then. Uh, very very cool. Thank you both very much for those uh, minutes this week. 
Another great episode. I mean, man, this one just flew by. So culture is a very interesting topic that uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Dan. I'm glad you, you called it out that we hadn't talked about it because I was just watching our thing and it flew by. Very, very good information. Again, if you're someone that's supporting us on Patreon, uh, you can check out Valter's May episode if you missed that one. He goes deep into all things culture. So that's a very, uh, very useful listen. Uh, again, we're going to have uh, episodes for these guys coming from from August, but they'll be posted here very shortly in the next uh, day or two. Uh, so look forward to those, both the historical extra from Dan and a, uh, an, a strategy session from Valter. So that's going to wrap it up for us. Dan, we probably will not see you next weekend, but you will be in our thoughts. Uh, please keep us keep us in the loop uh, if when you have moments of, of sanity and you know <laughs> are able to do that. But please do. What a sib baby! A little Civ baby. Hey, name them, name them Civcast. If you can't name them Valter for some reason, just name them Civcast. It would have to be Civcast or maybe Sid or maybe Meyer. Oh, ah, that would be great. That would. Okay, I, I give it up to that. Do that one. For all of our or awesome... Just make something like three names, which the initials then spell out Civ. Oh, oh I like that. But you have to change your so last name. Like Catherine, uh, Indigo... Violet or something like that. Wow. Those are horrible names. <laughs> two two different purple names in my child's name. I like wow. It. And that is if it's a girl. That just, is uh, very interesting. Valter, I'm coming yeah. to you if I ever need to name anything in life. I'm just gonna be like Yeah, you should, because it will be hilarious. Yeah, it usually may wind up being a col- two colors in their name. Uh, okay, well, to anyone out there that uh, needs to find us on the internet because you're really eager to track Valter down to get his uh, naming advice, you can head over to civcastpodcast.com. Uh, once you go there, bottom of the page, we have a, a submission uh, little boxy thing where you can type in, Valter, I need your help naming my dot, dot, dot. He will uh, get back to you because we monitor that and we'll respond to you very quickly. Uh, maybe you want to create a thread asking Valter, um, and maybe you want to create a thread asking Asking Valter and all the, the, the wonderful Redditors that we have, you head over to civcast.reddit.com. There you can say, hey, guys, I need help naming my X, Y, and Z, and they will come to you with recommendations. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, again, highlighting the fact that we are now only on Twitch, so make sure you uh, are following. That is twitch.com slash Kyle Dempster Studios. Again, links to that all over the website, so you should be set. There's a link over on our Reddit as well, so we got you taken care of if you need that. Join our Discord. Uh, I have more people join Discord all the time, and we love it because people are always over there chatting, sharing funny things. Uh, There's a specific channel that's all devoted to Civ stuff, so if you want to post there, you're welcome to do so. Otherwise, just get updates on when the things are going live, what we're doing, uh, what else, what else. Let's see. We talked about Twitch, talked about that. Uh, Non-Toxic Gaming, our friends over there, we love to give them shout-outs. They're really, really cool. Uh, go follow them, nontoxicgaming.com. Uh, and the last thing is to remind people that your support on Patreon is awesome. So that is uh, patreon.com forward slash civcast. And we look forward to seeing you all next week. So until then, just one more turn. You're listening to CivCast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. For more shows like this, visit kyledempsterstudios.com.